Hey, hey, good morning, Camelback. Good morning, church. How is everybody's morning so far? Yeah. Hey, I, I had talked with Pastor James a little bit this morning. They sent me a message, um, and Karen, and that they're on their way back. And they asked for us to just uh, pray for them on their travels coming back home. Um, I'm excited to see them. I haven't seen them in like two weeks. And uh, I, I spent like almost all day long with Pastor James, so I'm kind of missing him right now. But don't, don't tell him that. But, um, <laughs> um, but uh, we've been, this has just been an amazing um, series that we've been going through. And it's all about um, building into your life taking skills and learning skills and learning new skills and being successful in life. And we're looking at um, uh, uh, biblical principles, and there's a founding theme scripture that uh, we've been talking about each week, and it's Ecclesiastes 10.10. And last week I said, if you don't have like a life scripture, or if you want to add another one, I say add this to it, and it's so great. And so Ecclesiastes 10.10 says, if the ax is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. And that's exactly what you guys have been doing Come here on Sundays. As you're building into, into your skills, you're building into your life, you're learning new things to be more successful in life. And, and amen, is, and that is, that is amazing. That is so great, so cool that you guys are doing that. And um, as I've been uh, learning more each week myself, I, I came across Daniel in the Bible. And Daniel is an amazing man. He went through so many different obstacles and challenges in his life to be where he, wat, where he became and is at in his life. And so I was reading in, in Daniel 5, and that's where we're going to be at. And there's some great things that, that um, he, he, he does. So Daniel's life so at 15 years old uh, was a prisoner of war. King Nebuchadnezzar, a very famous king, went into Israel and destroyed Israel, destroyed Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. And he went in there, destroyed the temples, and he actually took out 25% of the people in Israel. He wanted the smartest, the brightest, the best-looking people out of Israel and took them back with him. And Daniel was one of those people that he went back, and he spent 70 years in um, Babylon, that's where King Nebuchadnezzar is from. And today that's now Iraq. But he went to, King Nebuchadnezzar went to Israel and he destroyed all the temples and he ended up taking back with him the uh, sacred uh, things that were in the temple that were for, for God. And he wanted to take those and he took them back and he put them in his temple, the pagan temples, to show that I defeated the God of Israel. And... Uh, we're in Daniel 5. So King Nebuchadnezzar, very famous. He made the, the hanging walls, the, the great hanging walls of Babylon. And he had reigned for 45 years, but he had, he had died. And so we're in, um, we're in Daniel 5, and I'm setting this up here. The new king is Belshazzar. And he wasn't king for very long, for maybe two years. And he really just liked to have parties and did not take care of his people. He wasn't really encouraging to, for the society. And he was just more about, I just want to have fun. So he's a party boy. We can call him a party boy. So sensing this, because he wasn't taking care of his kingdom that was given to him, there are two rival 
nations. These were the Persians and the Medes. And they were great threats to the Babylonians, to be honest. Um, you guys have heard of Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Great. These guys actually teamed up together to take on the Babylonians. Babylonians. They had these really strong fortified walls all around them. They were great and they're massive and strong. And they wanted to take over Babylon. So they came and they besieged them. So they're surrounding Babylon right now. But Babylon's pretty safe because of those walls. There's a, a river that runs through it. And these walls are about 40 to 80 feet tall. Belshazzar wasn't very afraid though. He thought that he's okay behind those walls and relaxed and he hung out and so he wasn't afraid. And a party guy, party boy, what does he do when he's under attack? Has a party, right? So he invited a thousand of his friends, and that's a lot of friends, but to be honest, that wasn't uncommon for them, for kings to invite a thousand people of their friends and their concubines and their wives and everything to come and have a party. And um, and so that's what they're doing. They're hanging out and they're having a party as they're, they're being under attack. And uh, the king remembers something. When you drink, you have like the best ideas, right? When you're drunk, he has like the best idea, which is the worst idea. He says, hey, guys, remember my king, our, 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 our king, my grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, he took over, you know, the temple in Jerusalem and he took back all the goblets and everything, utensils that they were... And, They've been in storage for like 45 years. Let's bring them out. Let's drink with them and uh, let's worship our gods with them. This is called sacrilegious. So when you take something that's sacred to God and you make fun of him with it, and this is what he had done. So they bring them out and this is where we're at. In King, uh, Daniel uh, 5, it says, King Belshazzar, gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. One translation says wine was just flowing. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father. Now, when it says father here, in Babylonian time, any predecessor that was before them, they would call father. So it's really his grandfather here, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. This is a bad idea. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Now this was not smart, because now you're making fun of God. And God doesn't really like that. And so this is what happens. In verse 5, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appear and wrote on the plaster of the wall. You guys ever seen Adam's family? And he got that hand. It's creepy, right? It's kind of it's weird and creepy. But imagine that all of a sudden it pops up and it starts to write things on the wall. And so a thousand people are here looking at this. And they're like, what is going on? And they're frightened and they're scared now. I'd be scared, to be honest. The king's scared as well. Belshazzar's scared. Appeared and wrote on the plaster wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. <clears throat> the king watched, as the hand, watched the hand as it wrote. You guys ever heard the saying, the writing's on the wall? 
This is where it came from. It means that what's coming next is not good. It's not at all good for you. And so he had the writing on the wall here. Verse 6 says, His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak, and his knees were knocking. There was another translation that said he lost control of his bowels. He pooped himself. That's what it was. He was so scared. Sorry, I just had a visual. Man. A thousand of his friends were sitting there with him, his guests and friends and his family. They're looking at this, and they couldn't interpret the words. They, couldn't, they didn't know what it said. They didn't know what it meant, and they're frightened. They're scared. And they decide to call on Daniel. I think it's so interesting that these decide. Daniel was the second most powerful man in the greatest empire in the world at that time. He became this. At this time, he was the third powerfulest person. But they decide to call on him. Why in the whole empire, in the whole nation of all those people, they decide, let's, let's get Daniel in here and let's ask, let's find out, see what he knows. We need him here. Let's call on Daniel. And Daniel's gone. He's gone through a lot to get to where he's at. He was a prisoner of war and he's been like an intern and he's coming up. He's moving his way up. And he's developed this reputation of being the wisest, the smartest, the most educated person in the whole empire. And so they ask him, Daniel, we need your help. What does this mean? What does this say? So Daniel comes. He comes to the party. He looks at the words written on the wall. He's able to read it. He's able to translate it, and he's able to interpret it as well. Daniel 5.25 says, and this is the writing that was inscribed. You guys ready for this? It says, mene, mene, tekel, and parson. I mean, no one knows what that means. Those are words that these people have never seen before. No one understood it. And it was actually writing that was in Aramaic. And it was an old Aramaic phrase in writing. And Daniel knew this because of where he, where he was born, where he grew up at. And interesting, this phrase is the only written Aramaic word in the Hebrew scripture, in the Old Testament. And it's actually the language that Jesus had used. So Daniel reads it. He also interprets it to the king. So mene means number. And he interprets to him and says, king, your days have now been numbered by God. Tekel means you have been weighed. You've been weighed on God's scale. And parson means divided. So your kingdom is now being divided tonight by the kings and the Persians. A parson to the Chaldeans also is a play on word for them. Parson also kind of means to them as Persians. So this is not good. At all. King, Neb, uh, King Belshazzar has just been told by Daniel that you're going to die tonight. Your whole kingdom is gone now. And guess what Belshazzar does? He gives him a promotion. He says, thank you so much for, for telling me this. And all Daniel was doing was doing what he knows, what he's learned, what he's taught. 
And he goes ahead and he interprets this. And, and the king says, I'm giving you a royal robe and I'm going to put gold around you. He's got this gold necklace. Listen to what the queen has to say about Daniel as well. In verse 12, it says, This man, Daniel, has a sharp mind and is filled with knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain the meaning of mysteries, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he'll tell you what it means. This is a reputation that he has created, that he has had because of learning things and, 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 and wanting to become better and be successful. King himself says this in 14. says, I have heard the Spirit of God is in you. This is a man that the, that the king and the nation, this empire knows that God's spirit lives inside of Daniel. So this isn't something that he's just one day says, oh yeah, I've got a spirit inside of me. This is something that he's displayed and he's learned and he's shown people. And it lives inside of him. The spirit of God is in you that you possess brilliant knowledge and extraordinary wisdom. Proverbs is like the wisdom book in the Bible. This is what it says about education. Daniel took time to learn. In Proverbs 4.13, it says, Always remember what you have learned. Your education is your life, so guard it well. It's your life. Daniel knew this. So how do we become wise like Daniel? How do we, how do we decide to, to start learning things? Our our theme scripture is building skill, knowing skill, getting better at things to be successful at things. Our first thing is make a commitment to never stop learning. These are things that we're going to see. These points are, we're going to see in Daniel's life. The first thing is he made a commitment to never stop learning. Proverbs 23, 12 says, commit yourself to instruction. We need to this is, this is not just a one-time commitment. This is a commitment for like our entire life. A commitment to continue to learn for the rest of our life. Commit yourself to instruction and tune your ears to hearing the knowledge, to hear the words of knowledge. You know what the most successful people, what most successful people in life have in common? Is they read multiple books a year. They do. They sit and they read multiple books and they, they take in that stuff and they read it. That's one of the most habits because all leaders are learners. They're lifelong learners. A growing business means you need a growing businessman. A growing class means you need a growing teacher. A growing church now means you need a growing pastor. A growing congregation means coming to church like you guys are doing now, on Sundays, you get to learn things that makes you successful in life. You can go to seminars to learn things to be more successful in life. You can read. It's so powerful how much reading does to you. All leaders are learners. The more you learn, the more you grow, the more you earn. And that's our scripture. Creating new skills is something too that you should look into doing. Pastor James and Lee, between the both of them, have like 60 years of experience in construction and masonry. For like six to seven years, I've been working here at this school and I got to work side by side with them. And I have learned so much from them. And I'm just 
scraping the top of what they've got, what their knowledge is. Because I want to learn what they know to be better at what I can do. A second thing that we can see Daniel in, in his story in his life is learn the lessons from the prior generations. Learning lessons from the prior generations. And that's what I was doing with James, Pastor James and, and Lee. Learning a skill of construction. Job 8, 8 says this, ask the former generations to find out what their fathers had learned. This is a command. The Bible's telling us, learn this. For we were born only yesterday and we know so little. So in your life, you need four people, four relationships. I don't have this in your notes. And so I want you guys to write this down. Four relationships in your life you need. The first one is you need mentors. Mentors are coaches that are in your life. The second one is you need models, people who can model a life, a certain life. The third one is partners. You need people side by side with you. And the fourth one is friends. So mentors are coaches. You should have actually many mentors in your life. You know, if you only have one, you should multiply that because now one single person knows everything. And so you need people to teach you multiple things through your life. Models are people that you can learn from. Now, I'm going to say this. If you want to model some, after someone, model someone who's actually not alive. Have a mentor who's alive, but model someone who's not. This is why. Because you're able to look back in the prior generations, you're able to see what they have done, what they've gone through, and what they're at and when they ended. Because if you take someone who's now and you model after them, you could be successful until the end, until maybe they've, they've held them up against something, themselves up against something that wasn't right. And they've fallen. And now you've fallen because you modeled after some sort of success that wasn't right. So look at prior generations, people that you can model after. And there's many people that you can look at, godly people that you can model yourself, yourself life after. Because people are now, their jury is still out. We don't know how they're going to end. Partners are people who are in there. They're rowing the boat with you. They're, they're, they're the people there. Let's do this. I'm going to help you. Let's, let's get this going. You need those people in your life. They may be your colleagues, and they're going to help you succeed and keep going through your life. They're going to be there to challenge you in things and also to help you in things. Then you need your friends. These guys will love you just no matter what. You could be dumb, but they'll love you. You need those people. It doesn't matter what you've done and where you've gone, what has happened, and they will love you, though. You need those people right there beside you. But let's look at Scripture and see what Scripture, what Bible says about Scripture being in your life. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 says this. It says, These things occurred as examples to warn us and keep us from wanting to do the same evil that they did. Now they're talking about the prior generation, the people that have come before us. These guys are examples for us, the people in the Bible that came before us. We can see what they've done. We can look at Belshazzar and see what he's done. 
And they came before us, and we can learn from them so they don't do, we don't do the same things. For Scripture says that we should avoid drunken parties, sexual morality, and worshiping things that aren't God. We should not test the Lord's patience or grumble or, and complain as some did and died. These things happened as examples and were written down as warnings for us. We can look at, Scripture says, look at, look at things that are going on in here. That's what's so good to, to, to read. And the Bible is so great because it tells you the good things and the bad things that happen with people. And we can recognize that. We can learn from that. And our third thing, and this is probably one of the most important things, is maintain a humble attitude that honors God. Being humble. This is a struggle a lot. Humility and teachability. They actually they go together. The more humble you are, the less you're going to stumble. Humility starts with knowing God, knowing that you need God and that you're not God. Proverbs 15:33 says, "Reverence for the Lord is an education in itself. Knowing him, learning about him, having a relationship with him. You must be humble before you can even receive honors. So it's in the more you know God, the more you know his word, the wiser you become. Because now you're looking at his word, you're looking at him, and you're modeling, how do I handle relationships? How do I handle money? How do I handle conflict? How do I diffuse problems? I'm not learning off of my own understanding, but now I'm learning off of his intellect. You know what the first step actually to being humble is? Is baptizing, being baptized. Because now you're saying, you're looking at God and saying, I accept you, God. I'm not God. I accept you as, as you are God. And now I'm, I'm, living my, I'm, gonna, I'm living my life differently and I'm gonna honor you and I'm gonna baptize myself. This is what Jesus had done too. And I'm gonna baptize myself. This is when Jesus had died like, and he was, he was put into the grave and he was there for three days. And that's what we'll do. We'll keep you underwater for three days. Not, not really. And, and bring you up. And now I'm gonna humble myself and I'm gonna live a different life for you because I recognize that you're God and I need you. I live for you, not for myself. I should have talked about this last week. We had baptism last week, which was awesome. It might step on toes here, but some of you guys, I was baptized as I was an infant, as I was a baby, and which is great, but that was a great faith step for your parents, not for you. And that's not, and if you get baptized later, that's not saying that the dedication was invalid or anything, because it's great, because dedicating Dedicating your, your child to God is, is awesome because now you're saying, I'm going to take my child and I'm going to bring him up or her up in the Lord. But when you take yourself and you say, I'm going to live for you, I'm going to humble myself because you are God and I'm going to change my life. Now you've taken it to a relationship. In James 4, 6, it says, oh, by the way, Jesus didn't get baptized until he was 30. Um, and so it's never too late to get baptized. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Want to know why God opposes the proud? Because they're not teachable. 
they don't learn from others. They're not going to learn from God. Our fourth thing that we learn from Daniel, <clears throat> refuse to fill your mind with garbage. Refuse. There's four contents that you can actually fill your mind with. And I'm going to play off the garbage, off the food area here. There's poison, stuff that actually can kill you. This, there's what I call mental donuts with junk food. I, I had a donut right before service, confession. It was only half a donut. Brain food. This is good stuff. This is stuff that we ingest in our bodies that's really good for us. Then there's superfood. This is going to be superfood, okay? So there's poison, stuff that we ingest in our, in, in our minds, in our body. There's concepts that actually derange us, that defeat us, that demoralize, that degrade us. Pornography is something that's poison to our minds. Mental donuts would be like watching TV, spending so much time in, on, on social media, hanging out with the Kardashians. I, I, I don't even, is that even still on? So they don't make you smarter, but it's enjoyable. But, uh, well, some people might think so. But, but I, love, I love junk food. I'll eat junk food all the time. It's not good for me, though. Then there's brain food, good stuff for us. This is like learning science and math and geography and trigonometry. I haven't learned that yet. Those are stuff that we need. Superfood. You fill your brain with this. You fill your brain. This is this right here. This is going to teach you about stuff that nothing else will teach you. Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Am I significant? What is the meaning of life? That's what we need. Some people might say, well, I just don't, I just don't have time to read the Bible. It's, it, there's a lot there. Is that, well, yeah, because you're eating too much junk food. <laughs> you have to have an appetite for, for superfood. And when you spend time, you know, watching or doing things that don't, aren't good for you, you won't have the appetite to read God's word. Proverbs 15, 14 says, a wise person is hungry for truth while he while the food, fool feeds on trash. So if we're going to be wise, this is going to be an important part too. Humbling yourself, taking in what's good. And the last one here, put into practice what you have learned. Practice, doing. I haven't learned till I do it. You have to apply the truth. You have to act on the truth. You have to internalize what you have just learned. If you're an author, say you're an author, but you haven't authored a book, are you really an author? If you say you drive, you're a driver, but never driven a car, are you a driver? I'm, I'm going to say you're not a believer in God and you start living like you claim to believe. Because you can say, I love my enemies, but have you actually really done it? I say, I, I live for Jesus, but are you actually showing and doing that you're living for Jesus? King Belshazzar had lost everything because he failed to do this. He failed to do this point. He failed to do all the other points. He saw his grandfather, he saw King Nebuchadnezzar, 
He saw him literally lose his mind for seven years because King Nebuchadnezzar, out of pride, did not listen to Daniel, didn't listen to God. He did not humble himself and he went insane. King Nebuchadnezzar did realize who God was through Daniel. And Belshazzar saw that and he ignored that. He saw all the mistakes that his grandfather made. He saw him come back from them. He saw all the good and he saw all the bad. Daniel 5.22 says, King Belshazzar, even though you knew all that happened to your father, Nebuchadnezzar, you didn't learn from his life and you still refuse to humble yourself before God who rules from heaven. So King Belshazzar made three fatal mistakes here. He chose to ignore God. He chose to be prideful. And he chose not to learn. You can know about God, but not learn to trust in him. Wisdom isn't about knowing, it's, it's about doing. <clears throat> there's information, then there's formation. I can get information on God, I can get religion, but I don't, I don't have a transformation, I don't do, I don't know God, I don't have a relationship with God until I do. There's the formation, there's a huge difference. So the lesson, if you don't humble yourself and learn from other generations, you'll end up making the same mistakes. I can learn about God, but I might not be able to trust in him. If there's anything that you take from today, it's here in 1 Timothy. Timothy, by the way, was a learner. Paul was the teacher. Paul spoke into Timothy. We should always have people we learn from. We should always should have a generation that we teach into, the youth the next generation that we get to teach into. Anybody years behind us, we can teach into. But 1 Timothy 6.21 says, some people have missed the most important thing in life. They don't know God. Like I said, you can know religion, but you won't really know who God is until you experience him, until you read about him and you do what he says. And maybe the step here is being humble and saying, you are God. I felt like I've done things all by myself because I thought I could do it. Guys, would you stand with me? God absolutely loves you. He loves where you've been, he loves you now, and he loves you in the future. He created us for him. And when we take that and we humble ourselves to that and know that you are God and you are my God and you want me to be successful, you want me to learn. life will be different. And maybe that's something that you don't know, don't understand. And you've never had the opportunity to say, God, 
I want you to be my God in my life. I need you. And I'm going to humble myself right now. With everybody's head down and eyes closed. And you, you say that, I'm going to, I need you, Lord. I accept that you went to that cross for me. I accept that I've sinned and you're, you're taking those sins from me. You can do that now, right now in your heart. And say, I'm going to be humble and I'm going to learn from you. I'm going to do life differently from, from now on. And just this is just for me. If you've done that, you, you want that, and you've, you've asked God that, go ahead and raise your hand. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, Lord. That's amazing. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for loving us and continuing to love us regardless of what we do. I pray that we will step now into being humble into you, knowing that you are God. And I ask that you give blessings to everybody tonight. And we thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, our prayer team is going to be coming on up after, after we sing here. And if you have made that awesome relationship with God just now, I encourage you to come on up. I love you guys and have a good Sunday.